An equal world is an enabled world. That's the message of International Women's Day 2020, taking place on the 8th of March, just a few days from when we're recording this latest Agenda podcast episode brought to you by Oxera, where we'll be celebrating the role of women in economics and exploring what more can be done to encourage young women to join the profession. Hi, and welcome to this Women in Economics episode of the Agenda podcast. My name is Russell Goldsmith, and we're recording today's show at Oxera's office in London. Uh, Joining me around the table, it's a welcome back to the podcast to Helen Jenkins, Oxera's managing partner, who is a respected expert in competition and litigation. Alongside Helen, we have Mary Starks, Executive Director and Expert in Regulation and Policy Design at Ofgem, the UK energy regulator. Plus, we have two consultants from Oxera, Enza Seminara, who focuses her expertise in the financial services industry and Andrea Antuka, a competition economist. Uh, So thank you all for joining the podcast. Uh, We're here today to talk about the role of women in economics, not only to celebrate the contribution that women make to the industry, but also to openly address the gender imbalance that exists in the profession. Uh, Now, ahead of International Women's Day, Oxera launched a survey to gain a better understanding and perspective of the industry from women who work within it. Um, Enza and Andrea have been interpreting the findings, and so we're going to come to them shortly to discuss in more detail some of the results. Um, But Helen, I want to come to you first, because despite the huge amount of success and impact that was celebrated as part of the survey, interestingly, 95% of respondents said they are concerned about the gender imbalance in the field, and 28% have serious concerns, really high percentages. Uh, Why do you think that is? I think there's a lot of evidence showing that business success is correlated with more diversity because most successful teams are those that can combine diverse perspectives. So I think the concern that you hear from people about the lack of uh, penetration of women in the field is because we're not getting access to uh, all the talent that is available and that is necessary in to make sure that economics is remaining Uh, able to address the key questions that we're facing um, looking forward. And I think that because economics has such a lot of value to add in thinking about some of these difficult questions, we really need to make sure that we're drawing from all people and not just a subset of the potential talent in this area. Um, I also think economics has even more challenges in imbalances when it comes to racial diversity and that's something else that we should should also be thinking about. Uh, And why then is it that gender perspectives are important? The questions that are investigated by the profession I think will be different as we get more women involved in the profession. I think that's something we'll pick up later in the conversation today. The approach to analysis Uh, the way we collaborate with different fields. I think these are all areas that could be different uh, if we had more gender balance in the profession. One example, I think, that has been brought forward by Rene B. Adams, a professor at the Said Business School, is that even the question of looking at how improving gender balance in business could have positive benefits to that business or to businesses, the very fact that we don't investigate that is something that she's brought forward as as a question. And I think that's a good example of how the fact that women aren't as 
high profile in the field affects the sort of questions that get asked. And I think another good example is the recent work that has got a lot of attention by Caroline Criado Perez with her great book on Invisible Women. And her perspective is around the fact that the way we collect data, the way people have investigated the world has often not really seen women as part of the group that you look at. One great example that's stuck in my head is the one that says when they test cars for safety, the crash test dummies are male bodies and they never test on female bodies and therefore women get injured more in car accidents. That's amazing. And so, if again, if you think that you have more women setting the agenda, thinking about questions, there's just more of a chance that women won't be invisible in these, uh, in looking at these questions going forward. Mary, let's uh, bring you in at this point. Um, what's your thoughts there? So I think, um, uh, I mean, I certainly recognise the, the points Helen was making about um, bias in the field. I think uh, we are right to be concerned about that. I mean, it goes it goes really deep. It goes to the fact that economics has mainly concerned itself with things that get paid for, and many of the occupations of women around the globe are outside the monetary economy, caring um, and housework and so on. I think it's I think it's very important that uh, that economics recognises um, you know human endeavour in its in its broadest sense, but I think the other reason to be concerned is that economics is is a field that's associated with real power. You know there are a number of really powerful people. Um, it's in among senior economists they are mainly men, and so I think it's um, it's really important that we we get gender balance in this field right. Andrea. Um, as a young professional, I think I do identify myself with uh, the high proportion of respondents that are concerned with this. Uh, and this is because quite often I would walk into a room uh, where there are multiple economists, but not many of them are female. Uh, so in that case, you start to asking why um, and you probably start thinking there is there is a problem in here. OK. And, and then, Zah? Yes, I agree. It it was not surprising, really, to see that so many women are still concerned in 2020 about gender imbalance, especially in the field of economics. I think these concerns arise most of the times from the challenges that uh, some of us still face every day. We, we got really some uh, great responses uh, in our survey. Many women are concerned not, a, not about the blatant challenges, the blatant injustices, because those are rare, luckily, today in many societies. But it's about the most subtle barriers. It's about the extra work, the extra effort that sometimes uh, in a men-only clubs women need to make to, to succeed and to, to go up the ladder. Well, Enza, let's uh, let's stick with you because the survey asked the question about what attributes women bring to the profession um, that is different from their male colleagues. So that kind of leads nicely onto it. Can you can you talk us through what the findings highlighted and, and also your perspective um, on them? So this actually was one of my favourite questions. I think the the responses we received were all very interesting. Um, they could mainly be divided into two groups. So there were those who were of the opinion that women are not not different than men, that women cannot bring anything uh, more on the table because they are exactly as men, so they could bring exactly the same attributes. And then there were like um, other people, like the second group was of the opinion that, yeah, there are certain qualities and skills such as patience, empathy, cooperation, multitasking, uh, the 
women could bring. There are certain perspectives that women have the tendency to adopt uh, that are different uh, from the male colleagues. I must say that I was like, I had a weird reaction when I first read this question because the gut reaction was to uh, to look at the question as being a bit sexist. But then uh, I realized that it was not. Um, I think in a world in which male characteristics uh, such as um, assertiveness, like the traditional characteristics that are associated to men, assertiveness, uh, competitiveness, risk appetite, are considered the successful ones somehow admitting that women can be different then women can have different characteristics could just reinforce stereotypes and the stereotypes of women being more caring better communicating but uh, but actually eventually women uh, not having some of the characteristics that are important to succeed but uh, um, I think that we shouldn't think at, at it this way I think it's important to cherish differences and we have many examples of the the different perspective, the, the added value, the different values that women brought in the field of economics. Somehow, many women were revolutionary in the work that they did in the field of economics. Uh, I'm thinking, for example, about Marilyn Waring, who um, basically uh, wanted to rethink, who advocates to rethink the role of GDP in uh, measuring progress and who is advocating for recognizing uh, unpaid work and recognizing the importance of nature and well-being in general to, to be a successful economy, a successful society. So, And in general, not only in the field of economics, but also in the field, uh, in, in policymaking in general, I see women to, uh, to be focusing on on very important topics that are sometimes different than the traditional ones. For example, ecology, climate change, uh, well-being. I have two examples that come to mind. Uh, Christine Lagarde, the president of the European Central Bank, is advocating for uh, the European Central Bank to have a role, an active role in climate change, something that is sort of revolutionary in itself. And uh, I'm also thinking about the Wellbeing Economic Governments Initiative, which has been launched in uh, 2018 by three countries, Iceland, New Zealand and Scotland, who are all led by women. Excellent. Um, Andrea, what's your take on, on it? Um, I do think that women uh, can bring a different, uh, different perspective in economics and mainly because historically we have spent uh, our time differently than men uh, and we are more familiar with some other aspects of life uh, which have been overlooked. Those that have been doing uh, the work on policy making and setting up different structures have done so with the knowledge that they had at the time. And when you don't act uh, in certain parts of the social life, you're not aware of it. You're not aware of what's missing or what could be improved. Hence, when someone working in those those areas of society that are mainly uh, jobs for women or have been historically jobs for women come to the front and are part of the policy policy making, uh, they can uh, bring more insight and help uh, develop those areas as well. Mary, just listening to what Enza and Andrea were saying there, do you think women have to work harder to make it in the industry or is it simply a case of everyone just working to their full potential and these senior appointments suggesting the dawn of a more level playing field? Well, I think 
anybody who has to work to fit in at work or who has to cope with not fitting in with with looking different um, is going to find that an effortful thing to do um, and that's an issue in any any monoculture workplace whether that's to do with gender or not so um, yes I think women in a male dominated field such as economics absolutely do have to work harder um, equally men in in female dominated fields such as primary education I imagine would would have a would pay a similar kind of mental and emotional tax just to sort of uh, turn up and and uh, and try and try and be the best they can be at work. Uh, so I think it's extremely important that workplaces are diverse so that you don't get that monoculture setting in. And I think it's important that they are inclusive so that people do feel that they can be themselves at work and, and bring their bring their best selves to work and be honest about who they are. Enza? Yes, so um, I just wanted to mention uh, one of those subtle barriers I was talking uh, about before, um, which could be relevant uh, in this case. So, yes, I I believe women had to work harder because uh, somehow they could not rely on some of the mentorship, networking that men enjoyed uh, when, for for example, progressing in their career. Uh, Somehow women were like... I think had the tendency to think that those were not very important, as important as working hard, uh, some more subtle points such as finding the right mentor, the right sponsorship. Uh, And also it was more difficult for them to to find a mentor when like many, most of the senior managers were, for for instance, men. Hopefully things are changing now, but uh, I believe that uh, it's still uh, quite tough. Mary, you were nodding along there. Yeah, no, I, I recognise that. And it's certainly, um, there's a good McKinsey study on sponsorship um, a few years ago now. And one of the things it called out is that it's really difficult for uh, senior men and junior women to form close bonds without being gossiped exactly. about. Yeah. And so it's much easier from a sort of social point of view to find a female sponsor. But from a numbers point of view, that's way harder because there aren't enough senior women up there. So I do think that's a real issue. And I think it does require senior women to go the extra mile in terms of um, sponsoring more junior women. But it also requires everybody to grow up a bit about workplace dynamics and to get used to the idea that senior men can sponsor junior women and there's just nothing wrong with that. Exactly. But I also think that it's uh, somehow more difficult for women to look for sponsors because they have a sort of, uh, it's a sort of uh, behavioural bias. Uh, They somehow have the tendency not to admit uh, they don't want to appear to be weak or to no, to, to yeah. just for help. To so I think that's also a problem and uh, yeah, uh, just a hidden behavior bias which we need to be aware of. Helen, yes, I think picking up on that point about behavioral biases and the way women themselves interact in a workplace and the constraints sometimes pe- women put on themselves is something that is very is baked very deep I think and when I reflect on my own career and the fact that I've built my career as an economist here in the UK but I grew up in Australia and when I reflect on that there's a part there that I was given freedom from the fact that I was I didn't fit a mold like people 
expected me to be different because I was an Australian woman. Therefore, it was fine that I didn't understand necessarily the behavioural rules for women and I could be more direct and I could call things out, which I think actually probably comes naturally to a lot of women. However, they self-censor because they know that that's going to be perceived in a, in a negative way in a way that men perhaps don't feel those those same sort of constraints. So I think one of the things that is harder for women is letting yourself take the space, right? And and taking that step and taking that space. It's it's a can be a very scary thing to do, but I think it's a really important thing to encourage women to take those risks. I mean, one of the things that I um, try and be mindful of as a manager of, of teams of, you know, obviously men and, and female economists is, I mean, there are, you know, there are these documented differences in men and female brains and behaviour, but A, those differences are incredibly small and B, they are culturally conditioned. As you say, if you ask girls to get good at particular things or to behave in certain ways, they will get good at those things and behave in those ways. And... Um, so I, I really try and aim off for the, the stereotypes that, that you were talking about earlier. And the last thing you want to be doing uh, in the workplace is giving girl tasks to the girls and boy tasks to the boys. You've got to try and be really even handed about working out, well, you know, what is Helen really good at? And, um, and what, what will she, what tasks will she do really well at? And really try and tr- take people as individuals and um, aim off for those stereotypes that can creep in if you get lazy. Yes. And another example I came across as I was thinking about preparing for for today's conversation was a very interesting piece about the Mexico State Transport Police. And I don't know if others have come across this, but they have over the last, I think, five years replaced all their transport police, which were all male. They're now all women. And the reason they gave is because women are more ethical than men and therefore they had a really serious corruption problem and now they have gone from something like 95 cases of corruption for every 100 fines they gave out to two cases of corruption associated with fines. And I I found it so interesting that it was put as a sort of essential attribute that women are more ethical than men. That's just because women haven't figured out how to be corrupt yet. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, that it can't, it isn't that. You know, you read that, it goes back to the point you made before, Enzo, which is, is there something essentially different about women? No, there isn't, or the ones that are are tiny. But it is that in the culture in Mexico, women weren't see are seen more as outsiders and therefore it's easier for them to not be corrupt in that environment run this for a few more years one can expect probably that the corruption rates may well increase uh, in the in that area but I thought it was a positive example of where women had actually come to the fore and were were taking a lead um, for attributes that were seen to be uh, positively correlated with gender. Well, actually, the next thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that women play an important role in many senior positions in global economics. Enzo, you already mentioned Dame Marilyn Waring, principal founder of the discipline of feminist economics. Um, there's also Janet Yellen, ex-chair of the US Federal Reserve, Gita Kopinath, uh, chief economist at the IMF, also Esther Dun- Buffalo 2019 Nobel Prize winner in economics, yet only a third of undergraduates studying economics are women. Uh, Mary, 
What do you think this tells us? So, I mean, you're, you're right. There are some really fantastic uh, senior female role models in economics globally and, and here in the UK. Um, and yet, I mean, I haven't counted, but my guess is that women occupy well under a third of the most senior economics positions uh, globally. And so, you know, the, the undergraduates are, are leading rather than lagging uh, the senior economists. Um, do I think more role models would help encourage more girls to take, take up economics? Uh, probably. And, you know, I think the brutal truth is once you get past the first few high-profile women almost the quality of the role models doesn't matter so much as the quantity. So, you know, the first few women have got to be really good. But after that, it's um, it's not just about seeing fantastic women in positions of power. It's about seeing women in positions of power, full stop. And it's not just about wanting the women in the room to be to be great, though obviously always you want that. But it's also not about not wanting to be the only woman in the room. So I think there is a sort of, um, there's a quantity dimension as well as a quality dimension to this. Andrea? Well, it is a joy to me to hear how many women you've listed in senior position, but I think you might have struggled to put that list together. Um, just look around the world. There aren't many women chief economists or central bankers or Nobel Prize winners. Actually, on the last one, out of the 84 uh, laureates, only two of them are women, and that is a very small proportion. That's a fair point. Well, well Andrea, let's let's stick with you. The, the, the um, Oxera survey appear to show that young women are most inspired to join the profession by teachers and lecturers at um, the early stages of their economics studies. Now, so doing some more research ahead of this podcast, I also read that the Royal um, Economic Society carried out their own survey at the end of last year, October 2019. They found that um, whilst one in six boys study economics at A-level, only one in 17 girls uh, choose the subject for A-level. So three parts to this next question. Um, what more can the industry do to encourage women to, first of all, take an interest in the profession, uh, then join the industry, and then finally strive for those senior positions? Um, I think the two surveys that you brought together... Uh, tell a very compelling story uh, when it comes to why so few women join economics. Uh, in my opinion, the main reason is that the sources of inspiration for women are limited and in some cases they are accessible too late. Um, so let's let's break down a little bit the, the, the results that we found out for the Oxira survey. Um, we, we heard that 25% uh, of the women economists have been inspired by a family member 25% have been inspired by a lecturer at university and 21 have inspired by uh, have been inspired by a teacher at school if we think uh, how many of those 17 uh, out of uh, 16 out of 17 girls that didn't decide to study A-levels uh, had access to, to these sources and have been told about economics as a profession, uh, we will probably understand where the, where the problem lies. So if a family a member uh, that could inspire you is not aware of economics as a profession or doesn't understand what an economist uh, does, they won't be able to pass that knowledge on to you. So you're already missing out on one of the main sources. If, you, if we're looking at the teachers uh, in school, probably that would be a maths teacher or an economics teacher. It means that you have already taken some steps to learn the basics that would help you out uh, in studying economics further 
further down the line. If you have chosen some other subject, the likelihood that you will be told about economics as an option are greatly reduced. And when we get to the lecturers at university, uh, it means that you've already taken quite big steps and you have already decided on a career path, uh, which can't be assumed from, from many people. Helen? Yes, I've thought quite a lot about this question, actually, and I think it goes back really early. So it's quite a hard problem to solve. The, uh, the steps I've taken personally is targeting year nine girls uh, because that's the point that they start to make decisions about whether or not to take maths. And from, from my own perspective, I knew very little about economics. As Andrea says, no family member who was involved in that. But I had a very strong mathematical background. My mother studied maths um, in the 60s, became a maths teacher. So I had that role model in my life. And when you go in and talk to young women, um, 14 years old or so, they already have had baked into them this idea that mathematics isn't a career or isn't an area that is female or, you know, the, the subject itself is gendered. And for me, it's changing that, which probably unfortunately goes back to six-year-olds <laughs> if we really looked at it and the way that's taught in primary education. It's a pretty big problem to solve, but I think you can start at that year nine level and it would be brilliant if every organisation that has uh, economics at the core of what they do were to send a staff member out to their local schools to the careers fairs at that stage and basically just talk a little bit about economics. And that's something I've done and encouraged colleagues to do here at Oxera. And when I go, I, I don't actually talk about economic, about Oxera particularly because it's a long way from a 14-year-old's perspective. But I just talk about business, finance, regulators, and the idea that what you'll be doing in answering questions about how people make choices, how we price things, how we decide what to invest in, just to get their interest in how there are so many fascinating questions that economics can answer. And then I say to them, just do maths, just keep doing maths. You don't need to think about anything else, just keep doing maths. I think that's a very good solution that you proposed there, Helen. Um, but more generally, economics has a PR problem. Uh, look around at the films that you, you see in the media. How many of them portray economics as a profession for women? If you have to think of one film uh, where uh, economics takes centre stage, you probably think of the, the Wolf of Wall Street. Well, is that the kind of uh, image you would like to, to have when you start working? Probably not. <laughs> Enza. Um, I think the the lack of women, of, uh, the lack of interest of uh, females from from women in economics is also could be also linked to the fact that the dominant uh, literature, economic literature, was around has been until now around topics such as macroeconomics, econometrics, finance, uh, in which women probably are not very interested. Claudia Goldwyn uh, from Harvard University 
look at um, what are the fields of research of economists, men and female, male and female economists uh, around the world, and found, for example, that uh, women tend to gravitate to subjects such as labor, um, environmental, economics, uh, topics that are more concerned about society and well-being, the well-being of society, whereas men tend to be more focused on uh, econometric, econometrics, um, macroeconomics. So uh, up until now, uh, what has been dominant in economics was, was that. Uh, finance, econometrics, macroeconomics. And there's been little space for more, um, for, for topics that are more uh, geared towards society, um, labor market, mm. uh, environment. So as more women enter the, uh, enter the field and pursue research in these topics, probably that could even attract uh, as, with a cascade effect more women to join in. Yeah, I, th I think this is all extremely interesting. I completely agree with the don't drop maths, a bit of career advice. I think um, my friend's mother put it that um, nobody should drop maths before maths drops you. So you carry on until the point where you just can't do it anymore. At that point, give it up. Fair enough. But for anyone, regardless of whether you're male or female or whether you want to be an economist or not, stick with maths is great advice. Um, but I also think that the, uh, the economics profession has been very, very closely allied to maths and has probably been too mathematicized at times. Certainly my um, master's degree involved far more matrix algebra than my subsequent career has come close to. Um, and it probably didn't evolve enough psychology or ethics or history or anthropology, just some of the other adjacent fields to economics that are complementary and incredibly important for being a practitioner of economics. And I think coming back to the sort of PR image of, of the profession, if, if as a subject it was more closely allied with um, some of the social sciences and some of the humanities, as well as with the maths that you do need, uh, it, would, it might have a broader appeal. And I think that would be a good thing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I do agree with that as well. However, there is that bit of you have to get the women in to the discipline as it stands to then get the change. And I think there is a framework that comes from that mathematical knowledge that is very helpful for the rigour, which then allows that, with that framework, to then ask different questions and bring in other, other ideas. But I think it's quite interesting, some of the debate around the way economics has been taught since the crash with the, the core economics um, approach and the post-crash economics society, and the idea that rather than when you open the textbook, the first thing you see is a, is a graph. When you open the textbook, the first thing you might see is, so how do we solve class? climate change then, you know, a problem and start with start with that as the hook, um, I think is an interesting way in. Indeed. And I, I think the the interest that women have when they start uh, doing economics is very important. Even our survey highlighted that a big proportion of the female economists that we've surveyed were more interested in policymaking and having an impact on society or in social sciences in general. So that's the kind of language we have to use when we present economics. We have to talk more about the impact that it can have on society, not on the amount of money that you can make once you start working in here. Well, it sounds like we can do a, a whole podcast just on this one question, but I'm going to have to move this on because uh, we're we're pushing for time now. So, um, but picking up on on what Mary just said about climate change, actually, that's given me a nice lead into my uh, next question because the survey also asked about the importance of economics in addressing big global questions, and no surprises, uh, climate change uh, actually came out on top of that. 
Helen, in your view, what role does economics play in helping to address these global issues? I see economics as having two key areas that you can think about it making a contribution to answering any question. Uh, Aside from having a rigorous framework, which it brings to any question, uh, the first thing is how to allocate scarce resources, like at its essence, that's what we're all trained to think about as economists, think about trade-offs. And for big questions such as climate change, it's all about scarce resources and thinking about climate as a resource, which is something people have often thought of it as a, a free resource. Trade and trade policy, trade wars, actually one of the big insights that economics has brought to public policy and understanding of uh, welfare and wealth is the benefits of trade and the fact that by each person, each country doing what they are comparatively better off at doing, you actually increase the pie if we then trade between us. And so allocating resources is an absolutely essential part of, of trade policy. And there's, uh, in today's environment, with the protectionist feel, economists have a huge role to play in terms of explaining why trade is a good thing. And there's fantastic research out of Columbia and the New York Fed, some of that done by a woman, uh, Mary Amiti, looking at the impact of the American trade war, the US trade war, is actually on US consumers, right? They are the people who are suffering from these this policy change. And I think economists can bring that insight and clarity that sometimes people see, d- don't understand that that's how it actually plays out in the end. Uh, one of the other topics that came to the fore in our survey was around artificial intelligence and concerns around that. Now, a lot of that is around incentives. So how do we think artificial intelligence is going to operate? What is it going to be targeted at? How will it affect us? How will we respond to it? And I think the clarity that economics brings on incentives is we're trained to have not so much judgment around that. So often other disciplines will come and have a judgment about if people respond in a particular way, it's good or it's bad. Whereas economics goes, people are going to respond in the way people respond. And it's not good or bad, it's just how they respond. So let's not design policies where we don't take account of how people will actually respond. And for me, that's the biggest contribution I think economics can make is giving a framework where we recognise those incentives and design them for how people actually are. And Mary, obviously here from Ofgem, um, representing the energy sector, what, what's your thoughts on, on this particular topic? Uh, I mean, certainly, so climate change is, is the big problem um, facing us, uh, for sure, in our sector. Economists bring that real uh, intellectual clarity about problem solving, um, real clarity about what could work, what won't work, uh, what might have unintended consequences based on, as as Helen says, how people will respond to to measures. Um, But I think with that clarity, there there sort of comes a danger of, of intellectual purity, if you like. So most economists will tell you that the best way to reduce carbon globally is to price it properly, which is clearly true. But um, it's really important that econ- that economists 
also understand why implementing that is so difficult. And the real insights from, from that probably come from other fields, politics, international relations, and so on. And economists also need to be prepared to kind of get involved in the the messy business of second best solutions. So when the first best solution isn't available or isn't happening fast enough, which is really the case with climate change, um, if the right carbon price isn't doing the work, then what is going to do the work? So some of it is is about incentives. It's about what combination of carrot and carrots and sticks might get us out of um, petrol cars and into electric cars, for example. But there's also a um, a psychological element to that that um, behavioural economics is starting to get much more interested in. What uh, what other than price um, can persuade people to to do things differently? To, can overcome our, our quite deep-seated resistance to change. Okay. Um, Well, I want to finish off um, the podcast. I just want to ask each of you, um, and we'll go around the table, uh, for one piece of advice to women in the industry who are looking to make an impact. So Enza, let's start with you. I would like to give a general advice to to women in in every profession, more than specifically to women in economics. I would advise women to to look for allies in in their partners, in their colleagues, in their friends, to build a network, to look for mentorship, uh, not to be afraid to to ask for help, and more importantly, to to dream big. So the one of the main questions, and I always ask myself uh, when I try to get out of my comfort zone, is what would I do if I were not afraid? So pushing yourself and try to overcome fears and uh, fear, f- f- the fear of failure, the fear of like being inadequate. I think that's very important and that's the way uh, to go forward. That's a very good start. Mary, can you follow that one? <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would I say? I, I would say learn from everyone, but be yourself. So find something that you are good at and that you enjoy and do that really energetically and have fun. Great. Andrea? I would say uh, to to all young women in economics to speak up when they feel that their point of view is not represented. If it matters to them, very likely it will matter matter to others as well. Tremendous. And uh, Helen, you get the last word. We haven't actually talked much in this discussion about the combination of family with work. And I think I might leave that as the last point, I would say, which is that is a difficult balance for women to strike, but I would encourage women to recognise that their life is long, their role as a mother is one of the roles they will play in their life, and to make sure that in that period of being a mother, you also keep in mind that it's okay to also want to make an impact outside of the home and find a way with your partner, with support, in all those different ways to make both those roles work for you. Some great thoughts uh, to end on there. So thank you once again to all my guests for joining us today. So Helen Jenkins, Mary Starks, Enza Seminara and Andrea Antuka. Uh, Don't forget, Oxera would love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, you can do that on their agenda website by visiting oxera.com slash latest dash agenda. Or you can comment on their LinkedIn and Twitter posts where they have shared this podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today and are interested in finding out more about working with the team at Oxera, please email them 
at agenda at oxera.com. Uh, we'd also love for you to subscribe to the show, which you can do on all podcast platforms. And if you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a positive rating and review. And finally, if you'd like to get in touch with Oxera about Agenda and any of the points raised here today, or in fact, any of our previous episodes of the Beyond the Bottom Line series, uh, you can do that by also emailing agenda at oxera.com. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.